And right now, let's get ready to cap off 2017 with our speaker du jour, Chef Justin Delia, who is executive chef at Let Us Entertain You, at Let Us Entertain You's wildly successful Joe's Seafood Prime Steak and Stone Crab at Grand and Rush, just that away. And I'm going to give you just a brief bit about Justin's background. And Justin, you're going to tell us more in your own words and what influenced you to join the priesthood of chefs? Sure, I like people talking about me, so go ahead. Oh, oh great. Well, <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about you now. Uh, Justin grew up in a small Ohio town where it was the time he spent in the kitchens of his Italian family that first inspired his culinary ambitions. Justin attended Sullivan University in, it's Louisville, is that? They say it several different ways. Uh, the best way to say it if you're local, don't move your jaw and say Louisville. Louisville, so, and I, I, I was there um, earlier this year for a food conference, International Association of Culinary Professionals, and anyway, it was a great conference in a really nice food town. And, um, Justin attended Sullivan University there in Louisville, and uh, where he graduated with a double major in culinary arts and business administration. Following graduation, he took a position as executive sous chef at Vincenzo's, an old world Italian restaurant in Louisville. Is it Vincenzo's, is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, Justin moved to Chicago in 2011, where he joined Joe's as a sous chef rising to executive chef in 2016. Today, Justin oversees the daily operations of one of the nation's busiest steakhouse kitchens. And I met Justin several months ago. I volunteer assisting in cooking demonstrations uh, that some of Chicago's top chefs give at Gilda's Club in Chicago. That place is named after the late comedian Gilda Radner and it provides wonderful support for cancer patients and their families. Justin gave a class on how to make the most luscious crab cakes I have ever tasted, and he handed out the recipes. And when I watched his artistry in cooking and the way he so articulately and warmly explained things and gave such interesting commentary, I started thinking, this guy just passed his audition for the Culinary Historians of Chicago. <laughs> And Justin stayed late, graciously and warmly answering all kinds of questions and even handwriting recipes for members when they asked him for tips. I turned to the Let Us Entertain You PR person, Julie, who was there and said, Justin's quite a spokesperson. And she said, oh yeah, we use him for media interviews and television appearances. I was very impressed, and I asked some of the women in the cooking class at Gilda's how they enjoyed his class, and they sighed and said, oh, he's really good looking. So, <laughs> and, and I asked another one, I said, what, wasn't he interesting, wasn't he? She said, oh, he's really good looking. I mean, the, oh well. Anyway, I, such more, I saw much more than just a piece of beefcake, or perhaps a future star on the Food Network, I saw somebody who could give the culinary historians of Chicago some savory food for thought. When I asked him, Justin immediately said he'd be happy to speak to our group and said he could talk about the mind of a chef and the history of one of the nation's most important restaurant groups, Let Us Entertain You, sold. So let us entertain you and educate you with Chef Justin Delia. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, thank you, Scott and the culinary uh, historians of Chicago for having me. Can you guys hear me? You guys, you guys like this better? The acoustics are Okay, great, got it, copy. All right, uh, he gave a little bit of background about myself. I'll just kind of let you know a little bit more. One thing about steakhouses in general in Chicago is um, you really don't know the chef. And you reason for being is, you know, we're very simple. We serve a lot of great steaks, seafood, stone crab, king crab, and then you have your chef-driven restaurants where the chef is, you know, obviously the star of the show. So, um, as he mentioned, I, I went to culinary school in Louisville, Kentucky. I uh, started out at Ohio State, general electives, didn't know what I wanted to do. One of my best friends and I, we cooked all the time in high school, and we were like, why don't we go to culinary school? And I was like, well, why not? So that's actually what we did. And what really got my passion early when it came to food is I did grow up, as he said, in a, a, in a pretty big Italian family. And I can remember as a little kid going to my great grandmother's house uh, outside of Cleveland. And, you know, it was just always about food. Like, and you also always had to clean your plate. And just that passion, I never took it in so much to think, oh, I want to be a chef one day. But now that I look back, I mean, those are just cool childhood memories of thinking about, you know, people cooking in the kitchen, everybody yelling at each other, but then it's time to eat, you know, five, six times a day. So um, one other, like, side note of uh, food appreciation that I've come accustomed to is I did wrestle uh, about, well, I started when I was like five years old all the way through high school. And if anybody knows anything about wrestling, um, I'm not condoning it, but you do have to cut weight in extreme uh, cases sometimes, and that's what I did. And after you would have these weigh-ins, you were able to eat and you were able to rehydrate. And like, wow, like Subway was like the best food in the world. Like after you're cutting, you know, eight to ten pounds a week or whatever it is. So I don't necessarily say it's a good thing, but I did go through that and kind of the combination of those things and the pushing of one of my best friends that's actually executive chef in Louisville. He said, let's, let's do this. And, and once I got into it, it just, it just kind of blew up from there. I just found that um, being creative and, and just the sounds of the kitchen was just so exciting. So that's, uh, that's, why, that's why I got into it. So um, chefs, you know, we can take a lot of different directions in, in the way you want to become a chef, you know, obviously going to culinary school, but also you know, as many diverse restaurants that you can get in and take in as much information is so vital. You know, you're never just going to graduate culinary school and go and be an executive chef somewhere. You know, you're going to start at the bottom on the saute station, fry station, salad station, wherever you're going to start. But, uh, but eventually, you got to be a sponge. You got to listen to what either your colleagues are saying or your chef is saying because you can learn something. And that's even something I still hold true to today is, you know, there might be a dishwasher that I just hired and he may tell me, hey, you could do this a little bit easier. That's awesome. Like, I only known you for a few days and you can tell me how we could do something better and we're one of the most successful restaurants in the country. So I think that's very important, not only in the culinary industry, but as industries as whole. It's like, one, never forget where you came from, and two, just listen to what people have to say because you only can get better and you should be a student for life. So 
Uh, if I do jump around a little bit, that's just kind of how I am. If I get on a rant, I am. this can be as informal and as personal as possible. If you guys have a quick question or if you want to jot questions down, I, I think we kind of do that towards the end. Um, but feel free. I, I, I want this to be a fun event for you guys. So just uh, let's roll. Uh, Restaurants. So why do people really want to get into restaurants? So your typical chef is going to work 50 to 60 hours a week. You're going to work holidays. You're going to work weekends. Uh, so why would anybody want to do that? I don't know. You got to have... <laughs> no, I do know. And to me, it's the passion of food. I, I truly love the smells. I truly love the sometimes screaming in the kitchen or sometimes the accidents in the kitchen, the chaotics of the kitchen. You know, you're in a dining room and you don't see this madness sometimes that happens. You do have your open kitchens. And to me, I've actually never worked in one, but I particularly don't want to work in one because, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to have that, I don't know, like I say, chaotic conversation or, you know, something's dropping and you're trying to fix it on the fly or this guy's running here. You know, it, it's just like the excitement of the whole nature inside the kitchen that I, that I really love. And not that you can ever not get to not work in holidays and, and weekends. It just depends on what avenue you want to take. If you're a chef-driven restaurant, you're probably going to be there, like I said, 60 hours a week because it's all about you and it's all about the food. Now where I am in the, in the, in the ladder that I've moved up, you know, and what Lettuce Entertain You has to offer is if, if you're able to implement these systems and you stay true to the systems and it's a check and balance of everything, you can be successful and you don't have to be there all the time. Granted, and my wife is in attendance tonight too, she, I say it can get better, but I'm also a person that loves to be at work. I also um, get nervous when I'm not at work on a very busy day. I even now in the back of my head is thinking about everything that's going on at the restaurant because as everybody knows, December, November are the busiest times for restaurants. But I'm very fortunate to work with a restaurant group and restaurant in general that we're busy year round. And we can't take that for granted. And that's the biggest thing I drive to my cooks because they say, if you don't give me the best food possible, if you don't follow the recipes exactly, and we start losing customers, could to competition, how do you expect me to give you a raise? So it's all about you, it's not just about me. You gotta make sure you're giving me the highest quality product because there's so much competition. You guys see steakhouses and, and restaurants opening so much. It's like we can lose these customers and I don't wanna ever take for granted what we have and how special of a restaurant. And that's, it really comes down to our location. If you guys are familiar, we're on the corner of Russian Grand. We're very fortunate. We're very, we're what, two blocks from Michigan Avenue. We got the Nordstrom's Mall right across the street. Foot traffic and, and tourists during the summer, tourists year round really for Chicago. But we're, I, I, I really think that's true is, is never take for granted how busy you are because somebody is always looking to take a patron from you. So, um, Chefs, uh, when I talk about the excitement of the kitchen, I really do think there is a new wave of chefs. Um, when I started out, um, I think we started getting into the brink. If you really know, everyone's familiar with uh, Chef Gordon Ramsay, and you guys see this chaotic cussing and all these things. Not to say I don't lose my temper every once in a while and things don't, you know, kind of go uh, chaotic here and there, but, you know, it really comes down to 
running a kitchen and a restaurant like a business, like anything else. Nobody wants to be disrespected. And when I was working with my last chef, and he's still a mentor and a, and a personal friend of mine, but he was that old school Italian chef, that him and his brother, if they had a disagreement, there might have been a pot or pan flying. There's definitely some Italian words and a curse, curse Italian words. And, you know, it's great, and I, that was exciting, and I actually enjoyed watching those confrontations. But at the end of the day, uh, you can't just run your kitchen solely on that. You can't treat people with disrespect. And that's not just the restaurants. And I really think new new chefs, and I actually have a couple alumni with me, Haley and Mar, they're a couple um, alumni of the school, and, and hopefully I'm not just blowing smoke and they, they actually think um, I, I preach what I'm saying and I do what I'm saying. But I think that is really a big difference, is not only do I see that you have to treat people with respect, but also it, you gotta be as business savvy as possible. I really put emphasis, I do have uh, at least four or five years in the front of the house, whether I was a busser or I was a bartender or assistant manager in the front, I really grown the appreciation for the front of the house because we could have the best food in the world, but if you don't have great service, people are gonna know that. On the other end, even though I'm a chef, and I will admit this, you could have the most outstanding service in the world and above average food, and people are still gonna have a great time. And I say that with a little, I guess, like grain of salt, because I don't want, I always want to say that I have the best food possible and I'm trying to output, you know, put out the best food possible. But it is about the service and it is about the communication. It is about the guest. It's not, a, you know, we, we at Joe say we're the house of, of guests and the house of yes, because if a customer comes in and there's something that we're able to make because we have those ingredients, I'm never going to tell them no. And reason being is one, I want to make that guest happy, but I also want them to come back. Repeat guests and, and the word of mouth gets around. And you guys know how social media is now. It's nuts. If you, if you have a bad review or if you, if you treat someone with disrespect or a manager does this or food comes out and refire and this and that, like you can get some pretty negative press pretty quickly. And startup restaurants, that's um, even tougher this day and age than it was even five years ago because even younger generations than I, everybody has a phone, everybody can post something. So you have to know uh, and think every day that that guest could be putting something on, on social media or whatever it is. You don't want to live in the fear, but as long as you're doing the right things, it's going to be okay. Um, I really think uh, and I hope and, and, and some of my younger chefs, I really hope they kind of take that to heart knowing that it is about the guest. It's not about you. Uh, the egos of chefs definitely, you got to have some kind of an ego. You got to have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, identity to yourself and, and, and know you're the leader of the kitchen. But ultimately it is about the customer and you just want to provide them with great service and great food. And particularly of our restaurant, it's not cheap. And I understand that it's, it's a restaurant that a lot of times people maybe only come once a year. And that one time a year is a very special occasion. And the last thing I ever want is somebody that's is going out of the, out of their way to spend a little extra money and then they have a bad experience. And that's, that's what I really strive for. And we're again, very fortunate of a restaurant that our volume is so big, and, and, and just yesterday I was, I was thinking about it because, what was it, uh, Thursday for Friday, we were doing a little extra prep for the next day, and just the sheer volume of food that we go through is just, it's insane. 
And one of the great things about our restaurants is, is we don't, there's nothing open out of a bag. We make everything from scratch, whether it's our pies or side dishes. Everything has a recipe. Everybody should be following. We do do these blind tastings, which is really cool, uh, at least to me, maybe not to the cooks, but we send blind tickets to the, to the kitchen, and they don't particularly know it's for us, and they put the food up in the window, and then we grab not only all the chefs, but all the front of the house managers, and we grab uh, at least one or two plates from every station, and we taste it, and we go through it, and is this correct? Is this crispy? Is this under season? And then you have that opportunity to go back and teach and reteach and whatever you have to do to make sure you're getting the highest quality you know, product every single time. And that's so important for especially a restaurant like us that is, is, is it's not cheap, I know, and I know that, but we do serve some of the best food, I believe, in the city as well as the United States. Um, we, uh, lettuce philosophy, and, and Joe's in particular, is the highest quality ingredients simply prepared. I mean, our steaks are, are, are known to be some of the better steaks in the city, and I can tell you it's literally some clarified butter, some salt and pepper, and then we finish it with a little bit more whole butter, and, and that's honestly it. Now, we have a broiler that's 1,500 degrees that you might not have at your house, but it's, it's that simple, but it really starts with the quality of the product and, and the relationships. And I'll get into uh, lettuce. Why don't we get into lettuce a little bit now? Um, I'm sure everybody's heard of Lettuce Entertain You, started by Rich Melman, I believe 1971, RJ Grunts over in Lincoln Park, still up and running. And that's, that's amazing to know a restaurant not only has surpassed a year, but now what, 40 plus years as a restaurant. Um, and that's what also is why Rich Melman himself is so successful is because the core philosophies and the values that he has, he's kept true the whole time. And I've really, I would say, bought in maybe a couple years ago. So I started out as a sous chef. Again, I'm going to jump around. But I started out as a sous chef and I was closing uh, five nights a week for the first two years. Two, I'm in at two o'clock, I'm out at two o'clock every single weekend, every holiday, and then eventually I got it promoted to Chef de Cuisine. Hours got better, and then eventually to Executive Chef, and it got better. But it wasn't really until I took the Executive Chef position and I started really hiring my own um, and really trying to take dishwashers, teach them how to be line cooks or line cooks, taking them to different stations or whatever, to buy into what lettuce um, offers and what their core values are. And, and ultimately it is taking care of the employee. And I go back to old school chefs to new school is, is we really, the benefits that we offer our employees, you're not gonna find those at your smaller restaurants, your chef driven restaurants. Will they get maybe a week vacation? Yes, or maybe they get, well they have to have insurance or whatever the case may be, but lettuce really goes above and beyond. I have 60, Five, sixty-six employees. That's uh, my morning cooks, PM cooks, dishwashers. I would say at least 60, 65 percent have been there ten years or more. And what lettuce does is amazing. These guys and, and girls that have ten plus years, they have four weeks vacation a year. You just don't find that too many hospitality industry places. I mean, after a year, you get a week. After three years, it's two weeks vacation. After five years, three weeks vacation. Then once you get up to 10 years, you get four weeks vacation. That's amazing for a line cook. And then it also shows what 
we've been there 18 years, and that also shows you that we really have taken those lettuce philosophies and implemented them in what Joe's is. Because if I have employees and over 50% that have been there 10 years or more, I really think that's, uh, I, I, I'm sure a lot of other restaurant groups would want that. And, and I don't want to talk down on anybody, but that's a pretty amazing feat to be able to be uh, a restaurant and to be as busy as we are and drive our cooks and dishwashers as hard as we do, but they stick around. And um, not only do we offer uh, vacation, we offer discount cards at all of our lettuce restaurants. Once you're there for the first thing is 90 days, you get 20% off of any of our restaurants. And then those tenured, uh, tenured employees, they get 50% off of every lettuce restaurant. They can take their family and they get 50% off. And I think that's amazing that, you know, not only do we want them to have money in their pocket because I, we, we are above uh, the standards when it comes to pay rate, but also you can take your family or your wife or your girlfriend and, and get a great meal and not have to pay the full bill. And I think that's pretty cool as well. Um, but Rich Melman, um, we now at Let Us Entertain You have over 140 restaurants. So over 40 years, 140 restaurants. And we are slated, uh, we just opened two, and then I believe there's gonna be two more open by the end of the year, which is, is pretty crazy. I mean, it's, uh, restaurants are not easy to open. And then when you try to open them during the busiest time of the year, I, they know more than I. I don't know if I would do that because you are dealing with, uh, you know, people out shopping and people maybe a little aggravated because they're stressed out and then, you know, uh, so many people coming into the city. But when it comes down to the systems, if you follow the systems that we've implemented, it's going to be okay because you can, there's so many checks and balances. You're not going to be, oh, did we do this? Did we do that? Because there's a clipboard. In our kitchen, we have, I think it's 60 different clipboards in our kitchen. Um, probably with uh, technology, eventually we'll have tablets and different things, but they're also a little bit old school and thought is, you know, what if tablets or technology goes down? You have to be able to still do pen and pencil. So I don't know if we'll ever make that switch, but who knows in five to 10 years. But it's, it's also those clipboards talk to each other. So we have a front of the house uh, manager that actually purchases all of I would say 80% of anything that comes in house and actual front of the house manager orders. Our kitchen, our, our chefs, we only order again probably 15 to 20% of the products that come in house and it's only really the produce and some, some heavy cream and different things but when you're a big restaurant, you're a big group, you do have some buying power and chefs, we're so focused on the food. It's, I didn't know how I was gonna take that when I first started. It's like, why is this guy ordering my food? Now, after seven years, this is awesome. I don't have to worry about it. And, and then, but then also that, that teamwork and, and him talking to me and us checking in the product. Is it right? Is it, is it, do we need to send it back? Do we got credit? You know, that communication's still there. I still have a huge part in what comes through the door. But a lot of that stress of making sure the product's going to be there, I already have that taken care of. Uh, let's see. So... Joe's in general, if you're not familiar, we do have three locations. We have uh, Joe's here in Chicago, 18 plus years. Vegas is, I believe, 12 or 13 years. And then we opened uh, Washington, D.C. about three years ago. Um, 
Vegas and ourselves, we last year, and again, these numbers will come out, but we were both in top 10 annual gross sales uh, for independent restaurants in America, which is uh, pretty amazing to have not only two lettuce restaurants, but also there's actually three lettuce restaurants, but two within our division. Uh, just quickly, lettuce, obviously 140 restaurants. There's, I believe, six different divisions, and they're run by different partners, different chefs. But at the end of the day, we all work together. Um, but to, to be a part of something nationwide that people know that we're that busy of a restaurant and we continue, um, we continue to grow anywhere from a, a about two to two and a half percent every year. And that's a healthy business and a healthy restaurant. It might not sound like a lot, but two to two and a half percent on a restaurant that's grossing over $24 million a year is a significant amount of money. And for a restaurant that's been 18 plus years to be able to still do 400, 500 people on a Monday night, and then I'm sure we have seven, 800 people tonight is, is awesome. And again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. You never want to take advantage of that. You never want to say, we're Joe's, they're going to come no matter what. That's not true. We want to make sure we're serving the best food and we have the best service possible. Uh, let's see. About restaurants, I think with lettuce in general, is they've really, not only when it comes to the core values of taking care of the employees and empowering employees and letting them know, I also, I never bring in an employee and tell them, you're going to be a dishwasher and that's the only thing you're ever going to be. I come in and I say, you're basically my AAA team in baseball. I want you to hit the majors. If you want a job, this job will be here. If you want to move up, that's on you. If you want to make more money, that's on you. That's not on me. However much, however high you want to go, however, however you want to take your career path, if you want to be a cook or a chef or whatever, you can do that here, but that's on you. So uh, I think when it comes to the identities of restaurants, that's why we see so many restaurants close. Uh, I, I did a little bit of research that before I came here. There are some skewed numbers out there if you start researching how successful restaurants are. Typically, 20 to 30% of restaurants close within the first year. Um, once you hit that three-year mark, it's up to 60% of restaurants close. So again, going back to when I was talking about working 50, 60 hours a week, like, do you really want to take that risk? And why do people take that risk? It's, well, it's at the end of the day, they have passion for the food and they have passion for service. So people want to take that risk. But that's a very high number to say, you're gonna close possibly within a year or within three years. Typically when a restaurant makes that five year mark, um, they're, they're good. But then you start seeing restaurants go in different avenues. Once you hit that five year mark and they're profitable and they're good, they've, made their, they've paid off their debts, they either start pinching pennies and they start losing service because they wanna just try to take in as much capital as they possibly can or they're, they're smart and they want to just keep reinvesting in the, in the restaurant because nobody wants to go into a restaurant where the carpet hasn't been changed out in five or six years because in restaurants, how many times things get spilled on the floor? You have kids, you have myself or wine, whatever it is. So like you have to keep reinvesting. You never want to go in a restaurant and it smells or whatever it is. We literally probably have uh, maintenance workers um, almost every single day, whether it's the dish machine or whatever, whatever it is. And again, that goes back to lettuce philosophies is I tell my cooks as well, especially new cooks, if they come in and they know 
uh, not just if they know how to make something better, but if they need tongs or they need a saute pan or they need, hey, this oven isn't working correct, I never say, ah, we'll get to it. I go immediately to the phone and I don't really care if it's overtime or not because I can't drive a cook and tell him to give me something in five minutes if he doesn't have the proper equipment. I mean, ultimately, that just makes his job harder. That makes the food quality go down. So if there's ever th anything that needs fixed, we're fortunate, again, to be able to say that. Not many places can afford that. But I don't care if it's a Sunday at 8 o'clock or it's a Monday or whatever it is. If I need you, I got the emergency phone list. You're coming in because we're Joes. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't want to pull that one. <laughs> Uh, but again, I think it's staying true to the identity. You know, you never want to open a, you know, a pizza restaurant and start serving, you know, Asian food or whatever the case may be. You know, it's you'll you'll see that in restaurants that start losing their identity and they think if they make their menu larger, it's going to make them more successful. Then that's not true. You need to make sure one, you have the identity. We know we're Joe's. We know we serve steaks and seafood and everything else. We're never going to do sushi. We're never going to do, you know, pizza or whatever it is. We, we know who we are and we stick with it. And I think that's a lot of times when people start scrambling in restaurants and saying, oh, you know, the you know, bills are racking up. What should we do? Make the menu bigger? Well, that ultimately is, is worse because your food quality goes down. You have too much inventory. And anytime you see something go in the garbage, whether it's a head of lettuce or if it's a, a quart of heavy cream and there's a two ounces in it, that's, that's literally just taking money and put it in the garbage. And I do, uh, you, you've all heard of Rich Melman, but Fred Yost is, uh, he's number two in the company and he's, he oversees our division and he's there all the time. And it was probably uh, right before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, we sold 350 pies in two days. Um, and we went through cases of, of heavy cream. I know when you go and you have your coffee creamers, but when I'm talking cases, it's 12 quarts of heavy cream. We literally went through almost 70 cases of heavy cream in two to two and a half days. And that's just, uh, it's mind boggling, not only to the you know, regular consumer or home cook, but like even myself, like, wow. I mean, like 70 plus cases of heavy cream, that's, that's ridiculous, but he came in and he always walks through the kitchen. He picked up a quart of heavy cream and there's maybe an ounce in there and he went directly to the cook. Do you see this? That's money. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And now he makes a joke of it. My cook makes a joke of it, but now he makes sure every single heavy cream is emptied because if it's one ounce times 70 times 12 for the case, I'm not gonna do the math for you, but that could ultimately be even maybe one case. That one case of heavy cream might be $50 for me. So you need to be able to utilize every little bit of product that is in-house, however you can. Um, checking garbage is one of the things you learn in training uh, at Joe's. We have a pitchfork at Joe's. It sits back in our where we keep our mops and brooms, and we'll have him come through with a pitchfork and lift up the garbage. Two reasons. One, to see if the cooks are wasting food, but two, also to see what the customers are not eating and they're throwing away. Maybe the maybe maybe something we thought was great wasn't great and the customer doesn't like it and they're throwing half of it away. So we'll make a change immediately if we start seeing those. You know, you're able to learn a lot, not only uh, through word of mouth, but just observation and just looking at what people are doing, what's in the garbage, what's on the floor, what is the cook overcooking, whatever the case may be, you always have that opportunity to make your business better. And, and again, we keep going back to we're, we're very fortunate, but 
you know, that, that ounce of cream, that's a lot of money over a calendar year. So we want to just, uh, and, and what I've learned is just making sure that you're aware of everything. We're such a busy restaurant. If you don't stay true to the systems that are implemented, you can have so much waste. I, you know, it, it's, it's okay to share the news, but we get steak deliveries three times a week. And they're anywhere, the invoices are anywhere from 18 to $24,000. So, you know, we're talking 50 to $60,000 a week in just steaks. So if <clears throat> those are going in the garbage or you have theft or whatever the case may be, that is so much money that is, is just walking out your door. Um, and that's, you know, kind of getting through a little bit about what Lettuce does is I have a receiver that is there six days a week. He has a speck of every single thing we bring in house, whether it's our fish, uh, whether it's our steaks, whatever it is, he knows exactly what it's supposed to look like. Um, when you're getting that one day delivery, you may be getting a thousand, fifteen hundred steaks. He literally has to weigh every single steak. He has to make sure that they're cryovac, that the, 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 the blood inside is not darkening. Um, we have our specs on a, on a tenderloin. It's tenderloin tails, if, if you, or tenderloins in general, that we call them pismos. Um, they're about five to six pounds. We only get center cuts. Um, sometimes companies will want to start getting a little closer to the head so you don't have your nice, beautiful center filet. They'll, they'll call it a top-end uh, center cut filet. We don't serve that. He knows if he starts seeing that, we start sending it back. The good thing is, again, is people know they want to take care of us because they want our business. So um, even though we, are, we check temperature of every stone crab that comes in, king crab and fish, they know that we're gonna send it back if it's not our spec. And what that ultimately does to the, to the, to the purveyor is if they gotta to come to our restaurant two, three times a day to send us the right fish, they're wasting money on gasoline, they're, they're paying that employee, then they have this fish, what are they gonna do with it? So we're, again, fortunate that we probably send back, I think our tuna is our biggest thing we send back because we spec only a three and a half inch eye on our tuna. If it's four and a half inches, five inches, we send it back because the way we cut it, we get too much scrap and get too much waste. Um, but they also know they, they don't send us garbage. They don't send us something that's getting ready to turn because ultimately we're gonna send it back. Somebody's gonna smell it, somebody's gonna touch it, somebody's gonna temp it. So why even waste your time sending us something if you know we're gonna send it back? So, but that's a lot of training that goes into that. To be able to get somebody to be able to know that may have, uh, this individual that does it five days a week, he started as a dishwasher, he's worked every single station in the kitchen, he's been there 17 years. Um, you don't find many people like this, but being able to train him and be able to, for him to see, even like right now, Brussels sprouts, we sell over 100 orders of Brussels sprouts a day. Our spec, if it comes in larger basically than a golf ball, he sends it back. And, and they had a little bit of trouble at the beginning because when things come in season, you're going to have some variations of sizes until it really starts getting output of, of, the, of the high quality product. But again, he sees it, he comes to me, chef, send it back, don't even waste my time. He, you know this, I can trust him enough now that he doesn't even need to bring to me. He'll come and say, hey, I just sent two back two cases of, uh, 
iceberg lettuce. Iceberg lettuce, you open it up, it looks beautiful, but you take a head and you cut it in the middle, it might be a little bit brown, it might be a little spotted inside. And again, you know, one head of lettuce is ultimately four salads. So that one head or maybe we lose a quarter case of salad, our food cost goes up for that salad. And our food cost is, Steakhouses run a very high food cost. Not many small restaurants would be able to run a food cost the way we do. Um, if you come to our restaurant, please order salads, sides, and dessert, because that helps me out. <laughs> um, our fish and our steaks. I mean, our steaks, we, we honestly run a 50 to 55% food cost on our steaks. Typically, restaurants want to be anywhere from 20 to 25% overall food cost, we actually run a pretty high food cost. We're right around 40% just in food. But I only tell you that because we, we, we not, a, not say suffer, but we, um, we don't mind taking that cost in because we want to make sure you have the highest quality product available. We, we, with our steaks, we can dial in. We only have our steaks, our beef, our cattle only comes from about five or six farms throughout Nebraska, throughout Iowa, um, a little bit of northern, uh, northwest Illinois, but just that belt of where the best beef, uh, honestly, in the world is, is known. And, and that holds true. You do have, um, the only thing I would say maybe in beef, when it comes to beef, is your Wagyu beefs and your different beefs that are coming out of Japan um, typically are, are gonna be slated as the best quality beef in the world. But people do know Midwest beef is the best um, for several reasons. It's about the terroir. It's about how they're raised. It's about this, the different conditions and the seasons changing. When it's hot, they're not going to gain as much weight. But when it's cold and they need to eat more, that's when they start to marble. That's when they start to you know, get a higher fat content. And you can't get that in Arizona, but you can in Nebraska. So that's why we source, again, from five or six different um, farms. Um, we have to because we go through about 350 steaks a day. We offer 12 different cuts of steak. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> so times that over, you know, seven days in a week and then, you know, throughout a whole calendar year. Um, I'm very fortunate. I, if, if I could almost bring him one day for you guys, I, I think our, our broiler cook at nighttime, you'll never... I've never seen a machine. He's he's a machine. I mean, it's it's amazing. We don't we don't have one, but if you guys are familiar with a broiler, a broiler, the heat is from the top and it comes down. Um, they are rate they range anywhere from 900 degrees to about 1500 degrees. And again, he can cook three to 400 steaks a night. Um, we call them refires if maybe it's a little under, or it's a little over, or whatever the case may be. Um, but he can do it with most nights, 99 percent of the time he never has a refire. I honestly have so much trust in this guy that I think refires happen more often because of other bad steakhouses or franchises because uh, if you, and again, not knocking, because uh, again, I come from a small hometown where really, if you're going out to eat, you're going to like your Applebee's or whatever. We didn't really have really nice restaurants. Um, but a medium temperature to a place of uh, a, a franchise and a medium temperature to us is going to vary. And if you have that, that stuck in your head of what you've seen so many times and then you come to us, you're probably going to think it's raw, but it's actually correct. Um, we, we do spot check in our temp. We have a thermal temp. Um, 
I don't have a thermometer on me, but we have a digital therm therm uh, thermometer that we can just instantly check your stakes as fast as you can. And when you're, when I say 350 to 400 stakes a night, probably within a two hour window, you're selling like 70% of those stakes. So it's just even helps him to have that temperature and be able to check those just to help him get through service. Hey, this maybe a little bit more fire or whatever you need. And he's able to do that. And, and he's, he has a little bit of an ego, but he, he knows, all right, it's about the customer because our most expensive steak or 24 ounce dry age bone and ribeye, it's $75. Like, if you're paying $75 for a steak, it better, one, be good, but two, cook the way you like it. Um, but he's great. That's my tangent. I'm sorry if I keep going off. Uh, let's see. Competition. Uh, to talk about competition a little bit, I, I, maybe about a year and a half ago when I was talking with this gentleman, Fred Yost, the, the second guy in the company, um, we just had recently Stake 48 open up by us. I believe it's on Rush uh, somewhere. I don't even care where it's at. But it just opened a few blocks from us, and I was like, hey, what do you think? He's like, I invite it. This is awesome. More, more competition, the better, because we're able to showcase what we can do compared to anybody else. And we do see it. I mean, there are restaurants that open up right around us, and even our, we call them Joe's regulars. We do have regulars that, we have people that come in five, six days a week. It's pretty awesome. Um, whether it's business clients or they're just coming in by themselves quickly, but he invites that because not only the people will go and try those new places, but they're going to compare it very quickly to what we offer. Do we lose a few people? Maybe, but majority of the guests always come back, and we see that true with with when I when I start talking a little bit more about lettuce and the innovations and of what lettuce does is. You know, I don't want to ever stand up here and tell you, like, this is the best uh, group ever to work for. We know everything, because that's not true. As I was saying earlier with a dishwasher, you're still going to learn. But you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to be innovative. You have to be able to see and forecast what's going to happen um, with not only our industry, but other industries. And, and you've got to take that in. And, and one example of what Lettuce is, does, and you see this now through a lot of restaurant groups, is um, like right now is uh, holiday gift cards. I just, I mean, we sell literally tens and tens of thousands of gift cards this time of the year. But it's like for every $100 you spend, you get $25 gift card back. That's awesome. So like if you want to buy a gift card for somebody, then you get $25 to come back in for the next time. They implemented this like five or six years ago. If you get online, you'll now see almost every restaurant group either getting a $20 gift card back or whatever it is. That's fine, but we hope to be able to be innovative and come up with the next concept that's going to bring people in um, and, and you know share, share the wealth or share the gift cards with people that might not be able to come in all the time. But that's what's great when I sit back and I look at lettuce and as we open restaurants like crazy, um, like even Hubbard, Hubbard Street over there, I mean, that, that is Lettuce Entertain You if you haven't been over there, uh, where Raymond San is and Hub 51. There's, I think we have eight or nine restaurants right there. And one cool story, and again, here's another tangent, but underneath Hubbard Street is actually a commissary for Lettuce Entertain You. So if you're driving on Hubbard Street, you're driving on top of Cook's. Um, they, uh, it's not part of our division, but they have, um, they make their own ice there. So like RPM steak is very um, trendy when it comes to how their uh, 
cocktails are made and different ice cubes they use. So they have cooks underneath there that are doing all of their ice cubes for that whole division. They have pasta makers down there. They have uh, a bakery down there. They have like a like a saucière, somebody making base sauces that they can send to all the different restaurants. They have um, for Raymond San for Raymond noodles. There's a there's a guy or a gal there making Raymond noodles every day, and then they're able to. And this is awesome. If I, if I ever had a big restaurant group and had one something coming out of one commissary area because you can check on quality. You know that uh, that chef that day, if he needs a, a special focaccia, he calls down there and it's sent to him that day or the next day or whatever it is. And it's pretty amazing to know that not only are you join all these restaurants, but underneath there's a, there's a madhouse underneath there of different things going on um, and sharing the wealth. And I think that's... Um, you know, under my division, we just have the three Joes, and there are divisions um, that have, you know, maybe 30 restaurants, but they might be part of Emberger, you know, so we have everything as, as not low quality, but like uh, fast casual as Emberger or Wow Bao, and then all the way up to us, and then um, RPM Steaks up there, and then um, they are getting ready to open up uh, RPM Asia. And I think they just opened a, a ramen san sushi place as well. And once they hit, once they really find a restaurant that has that niche and has that identity, they really just run with it. Um, about three years ago, we were the first, we were the second lettuce restaurant in Washington D.C. Um, I believe it was Monamiga B that was first in D.C. Joe's went there three years ago. Now I believe we're up to 10 or 11 restaurants in D.C. So they know the if you're able to make it in Chicago, find that identity, find that service niche, whatever the case may be, then they just overtake markets, and it's pretty cool. And, and D.C. is really, um, the food scene there is really blowing up. I don't, I don't say it's uh, the caliber of Chicago because we're known worldwide of all the various restaurants that we have um, in Chicago, but it's a, it's a market that now they, I think they're slated three or four more restaurants within the next year, year and a half in D.C. So um, it's great. I've covered a lot of different things. Um, I think uh, if we had maybe go to questions, I don't know, Scott, where you at, but yeah, let's do this, please. Absolutely, absolutely. So I was asked if I ever have time cooking. So uh, that example just happened last night. Um, my wife had a friend over last night and I got home, I showered and I started cooking right away because I just wanted to make dinner for everybody. And she's like, you need any help? And I'm like, I mean, you can, but I can do it faster. And that, that's not like knocking her, but it's like, just let me do it. Let me do it really fast so we get the dishes done and then we can just relax. But, um, you know, I'm a pretty big homebody. Um, we have uh, two Shiba Inus at home. Um, I do still enjoy going out to eat, but uh, when you work and you're on your feet all the time, it's just nice uh, to kind of watch TV and and do those things. Yeah, so the, she asked if I cook at the restaurant. So um, I do, but that is actually the problem. Um, I don't, maybe 
not necessarily a good problem, I don't know how to put it, but the higher you move up, honestly, in kitchens, is honestly sometimes the less cooking you do. Um, normally, when you become a chef in a restaurant, you're not, you're not normally working on the line, especially of a, a, a magnitude of a restaurant that we are. Um, again, when I was talking about chef-driven restaurants, you know, those guys um, are a lot of times on the line, um, you know, really right side by side with the cooks. But again, as every little notch that I've moved up the ladder, I do a little bit less cooking, but it, when I do cook, I'm implementing, uh, like I'll come up with a recipe. Like we at Joe's, we don't do like daily specials. You know, we're not a diner. So like when we come up with a special, we call it our market card special. We run it for a full month. And typically we run those for a full month because we deal with seasonality uh, products. Um, something like Cape Scallops right now. If you guys have never had Cape Scallops, they're called Nantucket Bay Scallops. They're amazing. Um, we will have those. Uh, they don't have a season, but when they're done fishing, they're done fishing. Uh, typically until about middle of January is, is what we'll have them. And they're, they're called Candy of the Sea because they're literally like, I don't know, maybe a dime-sized scallop. We just cook in a little clarified butter, and they're so sweet. They caramelize so nicely. We serve it with just a little bit of lemon. Uh, they're really good. I started thinking about food. Um, but when, when, when I cook now, it's uh, not only, I'll come up with recipes, like we do uh, market card fish specials, but when I come up with that recipe, I, I think about a recipe different than a chef-driven restaurant for a couple of reasons. One, I have to be able to think about when I put something on a market card, I'm not just gonna sell four or five in a night. I'm gonna sell, you know, right now, we, uh, John Dory just came in season, New, New Zealand John Dory. You know, we're selling 70, 80 on a Friday, we could sell 100 portions. Like, when I come up with that dish, it obviously has to be great. It has to be the philosophy, and not just lettuce, but Joe's philosophy of how we prepare it. But then systematically, as I'm starting to cook, I'm already thinking about, all right, how's this prep cook gonna do it? How's this line cook gonna do it? What's gonna be the easiest and fastest way for him to pick it up and still have that highest quality of product, but also it's about speed and it's about quality. So like, I still do cook. Um, we do, uh, we call it like comida. We, um, we do family meals twice a day. Um, you can't have your cooks in a kitchen for seven to nine hours a shift and not expect them to eat. So we do big family meals every day. I do that, but then most of the time when my cooking, I'm, I'm really focused on like uh, one or two dishes. But then also when you're when I'm thinking about my restaurant, I'm also thinking about uh, Joe's DC and I'm thinking about Vegas because our recipes that we write have to be able to translate because we want the recipes to be exactly the same in all three markets. So uh, again, you, you do a little bit less cooking, but it's a lot more methodical uh, when you do cook. Great. Uh, two questions. First question, what do I do with all that heavy cream? Well, when you sell 350 pies and like our fudge pie or pumpkin pie, we sold 130 pumpkin pies, there's about two and a half inch layer of whipped cream on top. So instead at home, when you take a little dollop, we, you know, uh, form it, smooth it out. Um, also, when we make our crab bisque, uh, we make it in 12 gallon batches and that takes about 36 quarts of heavy cream and we can go through 12 gallons of crab bisque in a day and a half so we're making it every single day <laughs> and the second part of her question was what do I feel about grass-fed uh, beef compared to 
what we serve at the restaurant. So not to not grass-fed beef, we have experimented with it several times. And there's uh, two theories to this. One, we want to make sure we're serving the same. We want to make sure that steak that you're eating today is going to be the same that you're going to eat in a month. That's the problem with grass-fed beef. It's very inconsistent um, because our beef, all of our beef is every cow, every cattle is going to eat grass. Like you, you can't have just grain fed, you know, they start out with the milk and then they go to grass. But what happens with grass fed is they don't get introduced to some kind of grain, whether it's corn, whether it's soy, whether it's, um, uh, you know, different parts of the country. It could be outside of a bourbon distillery. That leftover mash is actually protein that will help build up fat inside that cattle. So that's where you can get some more consistency, some more marbling in your steaks, is by the farmer introducing those different grains to that to that um, animal. Um, we we probably took about two months and worked with three or four meatpacking places in here in the city and tried, you know fillets, New York strips and ribeyes, some of your higher selling steaks just to try to bring it in because it is what people are thinking about, you know, um, whether they think it's healthier or not. Um, but we just couldn't find something consistent. We're not going to give up. We even um, started dry aging them. I mean, we've, we've really experimented. Uh, when we do most of our experiments, when it comes to something like that, we typically do that earlier in the year. You know, we don't deal with it this time of the year because it's too busy. Um, not to say we never will, but if somebody can give us something a little bit more consistent, um, the inconsistency comes in the marbling and also comes in just pure size of the animal and how fast it's able to grow. You're able to get an animal to grow a little bit faster if you can um, maintain their diet a little bit closer than them just free ranging and eating on grass. If you're able to put them on troughs and they eat all this corn, you can gauge that a little bit easier than you can if somebody's just walking around, not somebody, an animal's walking around and eating grass. Uh, yes, sir. Where do I dine outside of lettuce restaurants? Uh, well, if in the past two months, I don't. Well, my mother was in town a couple weeks ago. We went out. Uh, I don't know. We typically go to Italian restaurants, uh, sushi restaurants. Uh, but me personally, I like lettuce restaurants because not only do I get 50% off, I get, <laughs> I get, uh, I get a hundred dollar, hundred fifty dollar meal credit every month. So when you can have that, you kind of dine at a lot of lettuce restaurants. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, is there anybody here from lettuce? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I never imagined when I took the job here in Chicago that I was, I was going to stick around. Um, Jobs like at, at Joe specifically, if, you, if you're able to get that executive chef position, you've not necessarily made it, but you've, you've accomplished a lot. And um, I do see a lot of growth opportunity, not only with this market, but helping out the other markets. So I never try to predict the future too much. I'm very happy right now. I enjoy what I'm doing. I just hope to uh, continue and, and to carry that torch of uh, you know, what lettuce is and what Joe's is. Joe, Joe's philosophy? Okay, so uh, first off, my favorite cut of steak. Uh, that can honestly depend on the night. Uh, I think a lot of people are this way. Um, we tend to sell more fillets in the summer than we do the winter. The winter we sell more ribeyes, something a little bit, uh, you know, fattier. Uh, that's, that's probably, I would probably go with a ribeye uh, just because 
either ribeye or New York. I like New Yorks because I like to chew on them, but they still have a nice fat content to them. Ribeyes, if you just want a nice bottle of red wine, there's nothing better because you get that marbling of all that fat and butter and everything else. Um, I'm not huge on fillets. The only thing I like about fillets right now, we're offering our beef Wellington, which is amazing, but it has, you know, foie gras and mushroom duck cell and a puff pastry and a Madeira sauce and everything. So um, I, fillets are, they're just trendy to me. They're, I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, I'd rather have something a little more flavor and you get that when you start getting more marbling of your steaks and get a higher fat content. Um, I do eat, uh, I have to eat steak every day because we do these blind tastings or we have companies trying to get in the door. Um, I typically don't order steak when I'm outside of out at Joe's just because I, I see it and eat it all the time. And then the second part of our question was about what what, is she, what I mean by Joe's philosophy or lettuce philosophy. Ultimately, I was just saying lettuce and Ritania's philosophy is, is again, just taking care of the employees. Um, and then alignment with Joe's is uh, highest quality ingredients simply prepared. Um, the only people, I mean, I obviously report to people, like I said, um, for as busy of a restaurant, as successful as we are, our CEO, Rich Melman, and, and the executives, they want us to be happy and they want to make sure we have everything we need. So they're in all the time. And it's not just they're snooping around to see if we're doing anything bad. Most of the time it's them just coming in and saying thank you. Uh, Rich Melman was in maybe two weeks ago and he looked directly at the broiler cook I was talking about earlier and he's like, thank you. That's all, I mean, it's because of you what I am. And that means a lot to me and it means a lot to the cook. When a cook is able to sit there, he's maybe sweating or whatever and the, and the guy that owns 140 plus restaurants just simply says thank you, that's, that's nice. Yes, sir. Uh, so let me, let me, uh, good question. So he's asking, we source our beef and then do we source, how do we source our fruits, vegetables, and everything else that comes in? Um, I could tell you the way we purchase things at, uh, at lettuce is, is not, we don't think about price the first. Obviously price is very important, but we go by, uh, was it three or four things? First is relationships, then quality, and then price. So relationships with your vendors is so important because as I was saying, you kick things back or you say, I don't want this. How that representative of that company is going to treat you to make sure you get that product later that day or whatever it is, is very important. So we make sure that it's a two-way street. We want them to be successful. We want us to be successful. So we really hold true about relationships. And then we go quality. You know, we won't pay $5 less a pound of this just to save money. We wanna make sure if somebody, again, our side dishes are almost $9. Why would we go for a lower quality uh, broccolini if somebody's gonna pay $9? That's just not fair. So then we go price. So honestly, when we start working with different vendors, we wanna make sure they're up, uh, you know, they're truthful to us, they're professional. Then we start talking about, okay, let me start tasting some of your product. And then we start talking about price. If you're able to do that in, in a power group like Lettuce is, you do hold a lot of weight because all of a sudden, when you start selling product to us, instead of sending one case of corn to a smaller restaurant, you might be sending eight to 10 cases of corn every single day to us. So that's, um, and then we just source again, 
my produce company, uh, we have three different produce companies. One of them, we probably order 70% of all of our produce from them. And again, it goes back just to the relationships and them um, taking care of us as we take care of them. Yes, sir. Uh, Joe's Miami? Yes, sir. So um, Joe's is, uh, I hope everyone is familiar with Joe's in Miami. Uh, the question was, how did we get affiliated with Joe's? Um, so Joe's in Miami, I believe they just celebrated 101, 102 years um, of, of, of being open. And what they, uh, what had happened is they were down there and it was, um, they started seeing all this crab and they started opening the bodies and there was no meat inside. So they're like, what is this? What do we do with this? You know, whether make a stock, but why are you just gonna take an animal out of the ocean and use it for stock when there's other byproducts? I believe it was a, um, a scientist uh, that actually found out, he started messing around with it and he cooked the claw and he found out that's the golden ticket. The meat and the flavor and the delicacy is all in the claw. So what had happened is they started testing it and they started working with it. And this is 100 years ago. Um, what they found is it's pretty cool. Stone crab is sustainable. You actually, when they fish it, they clip only one claw off and they throw it back. That, that crab will regrow its claw three to four times in its lifespan. So that's pretty cool when, you know, now people are very trendy about, you know, sustainability and different things. I mean, one of our biggest selling items is stone crab and we can tell people, you know, this little guy grew this arm three or four times or whatever it is. Um, but the way then lettuce came about, um, these are all kind of stories that were passed on to me. Um, I hope I don't butcher them, but it was somewhere around, again, like 18, 20 years ago. Um, Rich Melman, he started a division. It was called his Iconic Division. And what he wanted to do is start getting some of these big, huge names throughout the United States and bring him in, uh, bring them to Chicago. And Joe's of Miami, obviously everybody knows, a family-run business. Um, they are they're typically number two or number three in the country for highest gross sales in America. They ship their stone crab throughout the world. They ship their key lime pie throughout the world. Um, but that relationship started 20 plus years ago. I believe it took Rich uh, at least a few years to actually say, okay, we can create this relationship. And ultimately what it is, is he also knew that we had to make it we couldn't just serve stone crab in Chicago. So we had to take Joe's Miami, but also make it what Chicago is. And Chicago is a steakhouse city, it's seafood, it's all those different things, but mainly steak. So um, the way it works now is we have the relationship with Joe's in Miami. All of our stone crab, a 100% comes from Miami and the Keys. Um, it comes specifically from Joe's LLC. And we can't go out that throughout you know, contracts and different things, um, but it's the great relationship we have because when it's in season, stone crab, if you're not familiar, it is in season from October 15th through May 15th. And all three Joe's, I, I can't even tell you the tens of thousands of pounds of stone crab will go through this season. Um, but it's not only uh, great because we know we're going to get a consistent product, but we're going to get the right product. And way, what Joe's, what they did about 20 years ago is what they, they were worried about was shipping the stone crab to Chicago. And what they found is they were able to put this um, 
organic water like glaze over the stone crab and they were able to send it here and it, it doesn't do anything to the stone crab it just helps protect it a little bit and then that's way we're able we're able to get stone crab pretty quickly we're able to get it even our king crab less than less than 24 to 36 hours coming out of the ocean uh, when king crab's in season from Alaska, if anybody's familiar with, king crab is only available for approximately two to three weeks out of the year. Once king crab's quota is met, you cannot get fresh king crab. So places may say it's fresh king crab, but it's, it's frozen king crab. And, and I even stand here and tell you that, that only about, we were, we were very fortunate this year for three weeks we had fresh king crab. And with social media, it was awesome because as soon as we put it on uh, social media, I mean, we just crazy busy. People will pay almost anything for this. Um, we would go. We were going through about 700 pounds of king crab in like two, two and a half days. Um, yeah, but it's all it's all by the Alaskan Wild Game. Uh, they they set a benchmark of how much pounds can be pulled out. Um, Three, four years ago was the best. I think it was somewhere around uh, 9, 10 million pounds was allowed to be pulled out of the ocean. And then this year was right around like six, six and a half million pounds. But once once that quota's met, it's, it's stopped. And then what we do, uh, we actually, if you've ever worked with brokers, we have a crab broker. Um, he's based in Las Vegas. So he works with the fishermen out in Alaska. And then we get, you know, pricing agreements. Um, we, if anybody's familiar with Fortune Fish, right now at Fortune Fish, we have about 200,000 uh, 200, pounds of king crab at their facility. Um, we just do bulk buying. I mean, it's the way to uh, you know, save a little bit of money. And obviously, we don't have the facility we could hold 200,000 pounds of king crab. Um, but what the great thing is, is king crab uh, it's brought out of the ocean, it's cooked, and it's frozen right away, unless it's gonna be that, that fresh shipment. But honestly, you cannot, uh, people are lying to you if they say it, it is fresh. Right, so the question was, what is the difference between wild and farm-raised uh, salmon? I think this question can be kind of geared towards a lot of different fish. Um, to be honest, it's getting a lot better. Uh, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, um, what people were doing with different types of fish, some of your larger, um, you know, grocery chains, they'll have some, you know, negotiations with different parts of the world to make sure they have their quota to bring in. But farm-raised salmon and farm-raised different fish is not necessarily a bad thing, as long as it's done correctly. Like, we, we, the only farm-raised product we have currently is our salmon, but our salmon is farm-raised in the rivers, um, uh, gonna draw a blank, um, by Norway, uh, I'll think of it in a second, um, but we, we have a, a fishery there that is farm-raised, but it's literally miles long of river that these salmon are able to go in. So like, it's actually still contained, but it's kind of still wild. So like, uh, even though it has to be classified as, um, as farm raised, it's still organic. It's not fed any kind of dyes or anything. Um, you, you know, you get what you pay for. 
if you see, you know, it's kind of the saying, it's too good to be true. It's, it, it's like that with food. Like if you see a sale on something, that might not be, take that back. But if you see something that's just very low quality or on a price, like maybe you have two different, maybe you have like sockeye salmon in a fishery or at your market, and then you have just like, you know, Scottish salmon, but the price difference for the sockeye might be seven to $8 more a pound you get what you pay for. And if you're just trying to go and try to save money, I understand not everybody can afford the best things. Like that's, that's I, I totally get that. But if you're going to shop for food, that's one expense and uh, that I honestly don't mind paying. Like if I'm ever gonna splurge, it's, it's, it's food. It's like, I don't mind paying. The most disappointing thing though, is if we go to a nice restaurant and the food is cold or it's not good, that's when I hurt paying because like, come on, like it's a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. It can at least be hot. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to walk around and tell people to shut up? No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's just, you know, that's, it's part of the ambiance. Honestly, you know, it's, uh, we, we have a capacity. I know our restaurant, um, and to be quite honest with you, it, it's, it's things that I see. Our, our restaurant can get very noisy, but you know when you have 300 plus people in, in one area and music's playing. Um, but I honestly, I think that's part of part of the uh, the ambiance. Like, uh, it, hopefully, you're able to kind of you know talk and, and and enjoy your family. But you know, it's it's more fun to be in a busy restaurant and kind of seeing food trays going everywhere and servers smiling and wine pouring and people joking and laughing than being in an empty restaurant when it's just you and one other table. Um, one, because, you know, we're going to be, we go through so much food, you know it's going to be the highest quality. If you go to a restaurant that you see struggling, you know, I don't want to talk down, but I, I try to stay away from those restaurants. Yes, and actually that was in my notes and I'm glad that you brought that up. So her question was basically what we call, it's uh, basically uh, secret shoppers. So we have people that, um, Lettuce has people, so two things, really quickly, Lettuce has our own sanitation auditors. So not only do we have to pass uh, inspection throughout the, uh, for the city twice a year, but we also have um, uh, our own auditors that come in at least once to two times a month to come in and give us a score. Um, She's speaking of our secret shoppers, so we also will send uh, patrons to restaurants, and um, you, again, uh, as she was explaining, they have to order everything, or they have to go to the bar, but they don't just check out our food. They, as soon as they walk in, is there trash, is there cigarette butts, is there smudges on the windows, they go to the bathrooms, they, is there towels restocked, is the floors clean, are there tears in the uh, chairs, whatever it is, they, um, I get these emails. They, I, uh, at least once, if not twice a week, we get these secret shoppers, um, and it's amazing. They're very detailed. They go through everything. Did the bartender use a jigger? Did the server ask me the right question before taking away my plate? Did they refill my wine when it was a quarter full or half full or whatever it is? And then. Uh, I skim through the front of the house, but I'm always more closely to the food. And then we get we get a, a rated scale, um, so like one through ten. So somebody orders the mac and cheese, they describe that product, and then they give us a score. And that's um, another thing. Two two parts. One is. Uh, 
uh, my bonus depends on that, but also our cooks. So if we, if we uh, score highest, uh, so again, going back to the divisions of lettuce, um, the top three placing restaurants in that division, not only do management get a bonus, but the cooks get, and dishwashers get a bonus as well. Um, you know, whether it's a hundred bucks or $50, it kind of goes through that. Um, but that's, uh, that's something I didn't mention that honestly is, like you said, has kept lettuce um, very true. Because uh, again, not when I just talked to my cook saying, we don't know who this customer is, or if you want to raise, you got to make sure the food's the best possible. But it goes to the servers. They never know if they're going to a table and they're being graded because those people don't write things down. They don't have a cheat sheet saying, okay, you need to make sure you take care of this guest. It doesn't matter who it is. And I've, you know, I, people have bad days. Servers make mistakes. I can tell you the kitchen, we make mistakes. It happens, but you just hope it doesn't happen very often. And, uh, you know, it's great because you have that information because I can go back to a cook. Well, you know, they said this was too salty or this was overcooked and then we can practice. Or if somebody said our mac and cheese was garbage, hey, the four or five line cooks that work that station, every single one, let me have a mac and cheese, let me have a mac and cheese. And then we taste them and then we can dial it in. Maybe we find out exactly what line cook it is and maybe we just keep a closer eye on that. But yes, yes, that's a, it's a great thing lettuce does. So the question was, as I was speaking earlier, that when I interview people, I, I always tell them there's never a ceiling on you. The higher you want to move up, the more you want to learn is on you. I'll provide that information. And as I, I've grown as a chef and an individual, is I have to understand that I, I don't need to worry Everybody needs to worry about their job, but you need to develop the people under you so you can move on and take on new tasks. And when I see somebody that comes in and her question was about how, how do you go about promoting different people. It's all about the work ethic. If somebody comes in and I know, uh, just to say as a dishwasher, if I know they come in and they for six months or a year, they come in, they show up on time, they communicate, they, you know, people call off or whatever, but if they keep those things to a minimum and they work hard and they're respectful, there's no reason not to try to take that employee and to move them up. And to, to answer your question a little further, out of the 65 employees that I have, I would say uh, a little bit more true to my night cooks. Um, at least 20 of my line cooks at night had started out as a dishwasher at Joe's. So it's, uh, it's again, it's, it's when you're starting in the industry, um, even myself, is you just, just be a sponge, learn as much as you can, like come early, stay late, you know, move to different stations, you know, go above and beyond. If you see something on the floor, pick it up, like whatever you can do to make the restaurant cleaner, more successful, or when you break down your station and you're cleaning, make it, make it 100%. There's no reason to be subpar and people will notice that. If your chefs don't notice that, then you may not be in the right environment. But if I see somebody going above and beyond, I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure I move them up to the next level. Um, it's very hard to find very good cooks or dishwashers. So when you find somebody, like it's a golden ticket to me. I, I, I have a couple guys that I have eyes on that I've recently hired. I'm like, this could be that guy, this could, or, or girl, or whoever it is. Like I, I want to you know, get them to where they wanna be. And as long as they're open and uh, to feedback and positive reinforcement, 
you know, the, the, the sky's the limit. Uh, my kitchen manager that does very well for himself, you know, he started out as a dishwasher. He worked every station in the kitchen, and now I can trust him closing the restaurant. I can trust him coordinating. I can trust him on a, on a radio communicating to all of our parties and everything going on. So it's, it's again, uh, I, can, I can only provide so much. It's on the individual how much you want to, to be and how you want to be successful. Uh, the question was about when is king crab fresh? So this, uh, were we in December? So somewhere right around October, mid-October, we started getting emails at late September. Normally mid-October to the end of October, you're lucky. You might be able to get in closer to November. But again, it's we've been out for about a month. But again, I, I think my third or fourth year there, we got one shipment. So you just never know. Like we've gotten shipments every year, but you'd never know when king crab, once that quote is met. Um, our biggest, uh, you know, it's all about supply and demand. King crab specifically, uh, Japan and Russia are, are fanatics over king crab. The United States fights, not fights, but they, 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 uh, the bargaining and the agreements and everything really are uh, over those two countries. Who's going to buy the most and who can get the most? They're very fortunate. They're a little bit closer to Alaska, but we're going to do everything we can, and that's why we have a crab broker to, to deal with that mess. Uh, yeah, her question was, uh, you know, once a restaurant opens uh, or a lettuce even restaurant um, Restaurants, it's all about the, the owners, the restaurateurs, the development of, uh, you can go in, you can have the most beautiful dining room in the world, but if you don't have the service, you don't have the food, if you don't keep up on it, and like I was saying, these, these clipboards that we talk about, we have checklists. I have a chef checklist that all my chefs have, all the front of the house, front of the house managers have. They... They have to go through, we have to check sales every day, reservations every day. They have to check the booths every day to make sure there's no tears in them. Uh, carpets, curtains, like you said. Um, there, if, if you start to see a lettuce restaurant failing by um, not having the proper, you know, cleanliness of the restaurant and stuff, it's more on the management of that team than it is on lettuce because they have, they have the systems, they have the information to carry that torch and to be successful. And I always make my chefs have their checklist. I ask them all the time, hey, where's it at? Where are you at in your day? It tells you from one to three what you should be doing, from two to four, whatever the case may be. So, um, Sometimes restaurants and other restaurant groups or whoever, they just try to open a little bit uh, or they try to move on too quickly or they got a concept and they just start you know, putting one here, putting one there. But you got to make sure the first one is, is sound. And then if you do open a second one, don't forget about the first one. So it's all about the checks and balances. But I think she's talking specifically like let us started Corner Bakery and then sold it. Sure. People who are now running Corner Bakery it's not the same operation as it was in the past. So how much involvement does lettuce keep in things that they sold off? Uh, not much at all. Uh, so once they sold, because we've also sold, uh, yeah, Maggiano's is, is one. Is 
one, either, and I, I can't speak for them, either they kind of didn't think that concept was going to continue to grow, or, you know, sometimes money talks. And if they're able, able to sell something off and then learn from that, but then open something else that might be similar, because... Uh, you know, at Corner Bakery, and that we have now uh, Beatrix. If you, if anybody's been to Beatrix, like that's, I wouldn't necessarily compare the two, but there's some, there's some similarities. But Beatrix is awesome. Like it, they do everything in house. It's you know their sandwiches, their muffins, and everything. So I think, I think that could be a reason. Is all right. We've got this. The money's right. Let's sell this, but let's keep that core identity and and keep moving. Uh, so the question was, uh, so. Within the divisions, there are partnerships. Uh, that's one thing with lettuce is, uh, you, you know, if you become a partner, you're actually not paying lettuce. They let you take equity, but then you continue to run that, that division. Would I love it? Of course, but that's also on me, and that was also on me on developing my team because I would never be able to take that on unless I'm able to be less at the restaurant, but it be able to run as if I'm there every single day. So uh, if you have connections with Rich or, or anybody else, let them know I would like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that that's what it comes down to is is even when a, when a saute cook wants to become my fish cook, well, when I bring in a new guy, you better be able to train him exactly the same way you are, or you're never going to move up and, and, and make that money. And I think I've only been the executive chef for a year, so I'm really trying to implement my own systems and trying to build the team as much as I can and get it to where I want. And hopefully one day we'll see what happens. Yes, sir. Um, you mentioned that your restaurant isn't a, isn't a uh, chef-driven restaurant. Under the lettuce umbrella, you give a couple of examples of which would be considered chef-driven restaurants and which are not. Uh, the question is uh, chef-driven restaurants. Uh, you know, the, uh, we're not exactly a chef-driven restaurant, but it's not that we don't care about, you know, the food and we develop recipes and, and you know, we try to bring in the trendiest things that we can. Um, you know, it, I think the only one that really comes to mind, it recently just closed, was True. Um, True was very definitely chef-driven. The ambiance was definitely there. Uh, but, you know, just the way the, the market's going, the way restaurants are opening up, you know, people want a beautiful, clean restaurant. They want high-quality food, and they want that identity of that restaurant to stay true. So um, I think you're going to see a lot more uh, fine dining and really chef-driven restaurants. They don't last as long as most people think. A lot of uh, chef-driven restaurants, typically your Michelin star restaurants, even a few of close here in Chicago, two to three years uh, because... It's very hard to go to a restaurant and spend three to four hours and pay 500 to 1,000 bucks per person. Not many people can do that. Not many people do that on Mondays and Tuesdays. They do it on the weekends. So it's, uh, it, we'll see. Because you even see your, your, bar, your kind of bar and grills. I don't want to call them that, but you're even seeing those kind of restaurants where you can come in and be dressed casual but have like great gastropub food. Like you're seeing people want to be a little bit more comfortable, not necessarily have to be in a, in a suit to go out to eat. So I think it's, I think it's changing. I think there's always gonna be that niche, um, but it's a small market. You know, there's only a certain percentage, even in this city that can afford to go out to eat like that all the time. And then we have, uh, thanks. 
And I have my couple assistants getting, I brought key lime pie. I hope you guys like it. Quick story about key lime pie. We juice about eight cases of, of limes a day. Uh, that's equivalent to close to over a thousand limes a day to make our key lime pies. And then net juice goes in the bar and different things. But again, everything's made from scratch. And I think they're gonna bring it out to you.